Welcome to Bed Crime Stories Podcast. I'm your host, T. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, bed crimers. As always, I wish you the best. To anyone new here, a warm welcome. Thank you for checking out my channel. Let me just ask that after listening to or watching this video, if you learned something or enjoyed it, please do me a favor and smash that like button. Now let's dig in. We're still waiting to hear if the prosecutor will seek the death penalty in the case against suspect Brian Koberger. If the prosecution announces they will seek this ultimate punishment, they will need to include a list of all the aggravating circumstances that the state is relying on in seeking the death penalty, and the trial will suddenly become what's called a bifurcated trial. This means the trial will be divided into two stages, one the guilt phase and two the penalty phase. The guilt phase is when the trial occurs. If the defendant is found guilty at the conclusion of the trial, then the penalty phase begins. During the penalty phase, the jury will review both aggravating and mitigating evidence. Aggravating circumstances in the case against Koberger could be things like the fact that multiple people died, the type of weapon that was used, the overall brutality of the crime. Mitigating evidence would be things like mental health problems that Koberger might be able to show, childhood abuse or neglect, or no previous criminal record, past good deeds. Remember, Koberger reportedly helped save a colleague's life when he worked as a security guard. Aggravating factors may increase a person's sentence, while mitigating factors may decrease it. After reviewing both the aggravating and mitigating evidence, the jury will return a verdict of either death or life in prison. By the way, at any time prior to sentencing, the notice of intent to seek the death penalty can be withdrawn. Thus, the state can change its mind. The state and Koberger's defense team can also extend the time for filing the notice of intent to seek the death penalty for what's described as a reasonable period of time. So if the state can't make up its mind, Within the 60 days following the indictment, it can get an extension. You may recall that after Koberger was indicted, state was given 60 days within which to announce its intent to seek the death penalty. Right now, the clock is ticking. If the prosecuting attorney doesn't file a notice of intent to seek the death penalty for some reason, then the court will inform the potential jurors at the start of jury selection that the death penalty is not a sentencing option for the court or the jury. Let Let's assume the state does soon announce its intent to seek the death penalty against Brian Koberger, and then let's assume further that the case goes to trial and Koberger is found guilty. In that case, there will be a separate sentencing hearing. At that hearing, additional evidence may be presented and the jury will be given additional instructions. This is when that aggravating and mitigating evidence will be shared and reviewed. At the conclusion of the sentencing hearing, the jury will have to decide if Koberger will indeed be sentenced to death. They also have the option of giving him life in prison. The jurors will have to decide 
if the imposition of the death penalty would be just or unjust. They do this by weighing all the mitigating circumstances against each aggravating circumstance that was proven during the trial. If the jury decides that Koberger should not be sentenced to death, the judge will sentence the defendant to a term of life imprisonment, during which Koberger could not be eligible for parole for at least 10 years or possibly for life. In Koberger's case, I'm pretty sure the judge is going to say, no possibility for parole for life. So if the jury says yes, Koberger should die, then the Idaho Supreme Court will issue a warrant of execution, also known as a death warrant. This warrant authorizes the director of the State Department of Corrections to carry out the execution. Death warrants are typically signed by the governor, who then determines when the convicted person will be executed. Let's say a death warrant is issued. The law gives the director of the Idaho Department of Correction up to five days after the warrant is issued to determine if a lethal injection is available. If it is declared unavailable, the execution will be performed by a firing squad. We know that the Gonsalves family wants Koberger, if found guilty, to get the firing squad over a lethal injection. So I'm assuming the Gonsalveses will only get their preference if the state is unable to get its hands on the chemicals needed for the lethal injection. But we all know how long it actually takes for a state to get around to executing death row inmates. The appeals process can last for many years, so even if Koberger is slated for death, I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. Right now in Idaho, eight inmates are sitting on death row. One of them is a woman, so if Koberger ends up there, these will be his closest buddies. The seven male inmates are incarcerated at the Idaho Maximum Security Institution south of Boise, and the one female inmate is at the Pocatello Women's Correctional Center. So for the males, death row, we have 44-year-old Azad Abadullah, who's been on death row in Idaho since 2004. He was convicted of doing in his wife and child in their Boise home before setting the place on fire. 72-year-old Thomas Creech, a former church sexton, is also on death row. He was convicted of three murders he committed between 1974 and 1975. In 1981, after committing yet another murder, this time while in prison, he was sent to death row. He beat an inmate to death with a pillowcase containing batteries. When taking the stand at his trial, Creech confessed to a total of 42 murders in nearly a dozen states. So if Brian Koberger is found guilty, and if he really does have an interest in serialists, Creech might be someone he befriends. Next comes 46-year-old Timothy Dunlap, who was convicted of killing security state bank teller Tonya Crane in October of 1991 during an attempted bank robbery in Soda Springs. Dunlap also took the life of his girlfriend earlier that same year. And then we have James Hairston. 
he was convicted for the January 6, 1996 shooting death of William and Dalma Furman. The elderly married couple were in their rural Downey farmhouse and they were killed. 49-year-old Eric Hall is also on death row. In 2000, he essayed and then killed a New York City flight attendant named Lynn Henneman. He wasn't caught at that point. Then in 2003, Hall essayed and killed another woman named Cheryl Ann Hanlon. Hall used Hanlon's own belt around her neck to make it impossible for her to breathe, if you know what I'm saying. He then dumped her body in the Boise foothills. Apparently, Hall lured Hanlon to the Boise foothills before doing the dark deeds and then trying to bury her. When Hanlon's body was found, the detectives were still searching for the person who killed Henneman. Because there were similarities between Hanlon and Henneman's cases, the police suspected the same person was responsible. They got a break when a witness came forward to say that she'd seen Hanlon walking with a man in downtown Boise the night before Hanlon was killed. Through the witness's description of the man, a composite sketch was drawn. Hall was arrested a short time later. 35-year-old Jonathan Renfro is responsible for the death of a police sergeant named Greg Moore in 2015. In May of that year, Moore stopped Renfro while he was walking through a neighborhood that had become the victim of many car burglaries. As Moore approached him, Renfro pulled out a gun, shot Moore, took Moore's gun, and then sped off in the car. In 2017, Renfro was sentenced to the death penalty. 66-year-old Gerald Pizzuto Jr. landed on death row in 1986 for taking the lives of Bertha Herndon and her nephew, Delbert Herndon, outside of McCall. Pizzuto was scheduled to be executed on March 23rd of 2023, but unfortunately, the Department of Correction could not obtain the chemicals necessary to carry out the punishment. This was the second time Pizzuto escaped the death penalty because the state was unable to get the chemicals needed for the lethal injection. As for the lady on death row, she is 65-year-old Robin Rowe. She caused the deaths of her husband, son, and daughter through arson on February 10th of 1992. Fire investigators concluded that a liquid accelerant had been used to start the fire and the smoke alarm had been turned off. Roe made sure she wasn't staying at home that night. So all of these people have been sitting on death row for quite a long time. It is in large part because of this situation with Pizzuto that Idaho decided to bring back firing squads. However, right now it's unclear if Pizzuto will face a firing squad and if so, when that will occur. That's all for today. I'll see you next time on Bed Crime Stories. Now do me a favor, smash that like button, subscribe to my channel, leave me a comment, consider a membership, and I'll see you next time.